One Week Season. OWS fam. Welcome back to the Reflection Pod. I'm your host, Bfritz12, and here we are on the back end of week seven, taking a look at what transpired uh, also at our own processes and seeing what we can do better, what we did well, what we didn't do so well, and how we can learn and get better going forward. This pod is all about us learning together. With that, uh, I really liked how this week set up, so I'm excited to talk a little bit about it. I was excited to play it. Uh, I had a little bit more time to spend on building rosters this weekend, so I took that and played all of the slates, uh, a couple different angles with some main bets. So I'm going to dig into that a little bit in our initial strategy portion If you've been following along, we're also going to do a little bit of a look at the best plays on the week, guys that had 30 plus DK points. Uh, We'll talk about if they were fluky or if we failed by not playing them. And then we'll talk a little bit about what we learned. Also, this week, I am going to review at least one roster. Uh, And I'm going to mention this at the front end of this week's pod instead of the back end when I probably lost most of you last week. Uh, But basically what I want to do on this pod is to try it out, see how it goes, see how you all enjoy it, uh, is basically take like one to three rosters every week of yours. I think it's interesting Uh, hopefully to go through mine, tell you why I liked it, what I didn't like, what I did well, didn't do well. And hopefully we all learn from that. But I think it'd be really fun to go over your rosters, uh, not only to provide you immediate feedback, but also for us to all learn, as that is the objective of this pod. So send me your rosters in the reflection channel on discord tag me at bfritz12 let me know the field size or shoot me a personal message if you don't want to post it in there for whatever reason that's totally cool too but make sure to tag me uh, as i want to know if you want me to specifically review it here or not so we'll be doing that a little bit we'll be doing it at the end but we're going to start off with high level strategy uh, reflecting a little bit I'm going to talk about playing multiple slates. As I mentioned, I did this this weekend. Uh, I've talked about that a little bit here and there on the past couple of pods and how it's plus EV and stuff like that. I want to dig in a little bit more there. Not going to spend a ton of time there, but wanted to mention a couple of things. Uh, we're going to talk about how DFS is hard. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about some of my personal wins and losses, and I'm going to mention these and go through these in a way that I think will be really helpful for us all. Because at OWS, we were on a lot of similar things this week, um, but also just in general, I think it helps to build our reviewing and self-assessing muscles. So we'll go over that, and then we'll talk about why I hammered the classic primetime short slate last night or prior to last night's game, and then move on to our regular segments from there. So let us start at... What I first mentioned about playing multiple slates and being plus EV, I've talked about that recently, um, but also it just being fun. (laughs) Uh, And I guess I'd be curious to have a poll. So I don't know, maybe I could do this somehow in the uh, in Discord, but be really interested to know how many people play multiple slates seriously instead of just kind of throwing for funsies rosters in there. If you're doing that, that's totally cool, too. But I do, I do just think it's fun to build really intentionally for each of these slates because, you know, we talk about how on a given slate, so the main slate, you have a portfolio of lineups, right? JM has talked about this for a long time. This is how he attacks 
uh, some of the, the contests that he enters and builds these lineups in a correlated fashion to boost one of them to the top. Well, what's cool is that you can do this same thing over multiple slates. So for instance, if you like the Kansas City San Francisco game, but you don't necessarily love it as the top game on the slate or one that you really want to focus your main builds around, you don't have to build around that heavily on the main slate. For instance, you can build around a game like the Chargers Seahawks that you feel is going to be back and forth and really be the shootout of the week. And you can do something like have a skinny stack from Kansas City, San Francisco, like Marquez Valdez, Scanling, and Travis Kelsey. Then you can switch it up by playing the afternoon slate and going heavy on that game and playing Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback with George Kittle as a stacking partner and then bringing it back with MVS and Travis Kelsey. And then adding in some pieces from the Chargers Seahawks because you don't think that that's going to fail, but maybe you want to go differently thinking that the touchdowns come on the ground. So you plug in Austin Eckler and Kenneth Walker and maybe another guy or two, Mike Williams, DK Metcalf. You get the idea. Well, this was essentially what I did this week. (laughs) Um, And so like I said, it can be very plus EV to spread yourself over rosters like this, not necessarily betting on completely different things. I think, you know, everybody here at OWS is very sharp and speaking to you, the OWS fam, uh, in that we understand the basics of hedging and doing so in a plus EV way. Basically, you know, the idea just being that you don't want to undercut yourself so that at the end of the day, you don't actually have any real gains to be made. The idea is that you can make your big picture bets and change the details here and there. So in this instance, I really liked uh, the Chargers Seahawks game and that environment, but I also liked Kansas City, San Francisco, probably a little bit more than the field and ownership was reflecting. So I didn't want to necessarily sacrifice what I thought was the optimal small field roster, which I will share my single entry from the main slate. But I also did want to have some exposure to that the KC San Francisco game in case it did play back and forth really nicely. So Just a note there, I know I've been hammering that recently in terms of not playing 80 or 90% of your bankroll on the main slate. Uh, Again, not as a blanket rule necessarily, but I do believe that it's much more plus EV than is talked about or that people think. Also, as a reminder, you can do this over sites as well, which again, nothing groundbreaking here, but I think it bears mentioning that you should be catering your play to where you can build the best lineups. So for instance, for me on the main slate this week, I didn't love the roster that I was able to build. I liked the way that salary worked out better on the short slates, either early or afternoon and on FanDuel. And there's always more space on FanDuel to get the guys, um, but It's important if you have certain things that you want to bet on, if you are really trying to squeeze a square peg into a round hole on a particular slate, it doesn't really make sense because now you may have plus EV thoughts or bets, but you are are lowering the EV because you're trying to play a given slate. Now, I say main slate again because this is what most of us are focused on, but this goes for any slate. If you like uh, a given showdown game, last night I really liked the Sunday night football game between the Dolphins and the Steelers. Didn't necessarily love how things worked out on DraftKings, but I forced some lineups because I really wanted to play it. I really liked the spot. Whereas I liked it a little bit better over on FanDuel. So just things to keep in mind there when it comes to playing multiple slates, multiple sites, and having fun, and also plus EV play. This 
also relates back to kind of what I said last week about letting the slate come to you. This is just in general, letting your roster construction come to you and not forcing it and giving what slates and sites give you. All right, so moving on to uh, more specifically this week, some things that I was betting on. As I mentioned, some of the bets I made, I talked a little bit about how I constructed lineups both on main slate and afternoon and why, um, but I'm going to go a little bit more in depth here. And to, to step back for a second, just so you guys understand how I create this podcast, essentially, uh, like how I plan for it, I as the as Sunday progresses, Depending on how much I'm paying attention to games, I will start to make notes for myself. I'll start to make things that I notice and essentially just dump these all into Google Doc that I have for the pod here, knowing that it is not only a podcast to be consumed, but also my own assessment. Uh, so it's kind of nice, as I've mentioned before, that I get to do this all in one space. I'm grateful for that. But I put all these notes in one spot, and then once I start to see some themes come together, that's how I create the strategy section of this podcast. So I made some notes about wins and losses that I had this week, and I'm leading into this by saying DFS is hard because it was really frustrating yesterday because I got most of my big picture bets right but I really didn't win anything. I didn't even break even yesterday. So this could, that could be uh, always a factor of multiple things, but it's really, really frustrating on a week when you are basically on the right things, especially from a big picture standpoint, but the details didn't play out. You didn't choose the right contests or you didn't build lineups in the best way or variance just got the best of you. So it can be either of those things, any of those things, and it was one of those days for me where as the day was going on, I was like, yes, this is great. Uh, the things that I was betting on were feeling good. But then once I actually looked at the payouts, when I looked at where I was uh, on the scoreboard, didn't look great. So really, really let down. So what did I bet on this week? What were some wins and losses for me? So high level. Things that I was betting on was Seattle Los Angeles being the best game environment on the slate. No surprise there. The other thing I was betting on, KC and San Francisco is back and forth, but not a complete smash. Again, not too much of a surprise there. Cleveland Baltimore is going overlooked. I noted in my first look notes this week that I really liked that spot. And so um, <clears throat> once it was talked about a little bit then from there, I like that as well. This was one of those games that could end up the way it did. Uh, you know, basically saying it's more of a barbell distribution where it could end up on the low side or it could end up on the high side. And the high side has a lot of goodness there and will happen more often than people would give it credit for. Final bet I was making was that Dallas wins with the run game and defense. This was one of those things where... JM talks a lot about this and his process in the past and, uh, you know, how he would go into the uh, the discussions with Adam Levitan and uh, Hefe where he didn't even realize some things because he was thinking for himself going into that conversation. And so he didn't realize some things that were chalky or popular. So this is exactly what happened to me uh, going into the Slate podcast with Zandemir and Hilo on Saturday, where I had no idea that people were on CD Lamb. I didn't look at ownership or anything like that to that point. So that was kind of mind-blowing to me because uh, it just... To me, I really thought that the Lions just were, were not going to be able to get much going here. Dallas' defense is legit. They are one of the best in the NFL. And uh, at home, I just not, not an easy situation. So with Detroit being kind of banged up uh, and Dallas' defense being as strong as they are, I just didn't really didn't see many paths to them keeping up here. And with Dak coming back off of a injury, 
didn't really see any need for them to push the game. Now, yes, Lamb will still get his looks in a game where it's not pass heavy, but from a ceiling perspective and some of the guys guys that were priced around him uh, that do have a ceiling, I just didn't get it. It didn't make any sense to me. So that was one of those things where thinking for yourself initially can really, really, really help. Uh, and I gave a lot of back story there because I want to kind of connect that as we go. So let's lead in with that. So now we're talking specifically about my wins and losses this week. So I bet on Zeke Cowboys defense. Uh, talked a little bit about this in the the slate podcast this week that is Hilo and Zanamir. They talked a little bit about this. I loved it since I was already kind of noting that. Um, and then I threw in a quick note into the inner circle chat, I believe it was on Sunday morning, that I just really, really loved Zeke and Cowboys defense, potentially even with an Amon Ross St. Brown bring back because there was massive leverage here. I think this was actually one of the best leverage plays on the slate. The only reason it wasn't uh, far and away the best is because the there were really strong running back plays in Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, and to an extent, Kenneth Walker. So otherwise, I would I would have felt like this was far and away the best. But basically, with Zeke, you're getting leverage off of CeeDee Lamb. Cowboys defense, you're paying all the way up instead of this massive uh, chunk of the field that is paying down for the Jets defense. And... I just love that. I love when there's these clear leverage uh, spots. And so this spot to me was very, very attractive. And so I bet on that. It was a win for the most part. I'm going to label it a win for these reasons. I went back to my early week notes. <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll know if you've been listening to this, this is one of my reflections of the past couple weeks is go back to my early week notes. A lot of times by the end of the weekend between jumping into some content that others are writing and simply just building lineups and, and getting a little bit too in my head about things or prices or whatever, I can get away from by early week thoughts, which in general are usually pretty sharp from a track record standpoint. So went back to my notes there. So you guys know, like I said, uh, that's a win for me. It's always important that we, when we're assessing our process, we look at what we've done better. So felt really good about that this week. The other piece of this that kind of goes hand in hand is I went with my gut. Huge win there. This is hands down the worst feeling in DFS, uh, gambling, uh, life <laughs> when you are, you have this gut feeling and you don't go with it. There's nothing worse than being like, oh, I knew it. I was on that guy. I just didn't pull the trigger. Couldn't, couldn't get myself to do it. I went with so-and-so just the nut low, right? Like the absolute worst, uh, something that my wife just gets so sick of hearing me say, uh, so I'm working on that this year. <laughs> uh, by the way, it's really good to have your wife there as a check and be like, yeah, well, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't do this stuff anymore if you're going to keep saying that. It's uh, nice, nice feedback. Um, so went with my gut. The one thing that I didn't love about here is like kind of a, a minor loss in this is that I, f I did have a bring back in most spots. Uh, I couldn't fit Amonara St. Brown. In most of my lineups, I got him in one or two. Uh, obviously, he got injured, so you're just that's a, just a bad break there. I think he was a very strong correlation. So for those of you that pulled the trigger on that, uh, yeah, keep your head up. That was, I think, very sharp. Also, I had some Josh Reynolds in there. I don't love this. I don't think it was an awful play, but I don't think that it was fully necessary. So what I'm thinking about specifically is that I know I had some rosters on FanDuel where I used Josh Reynolds in the flex to complete this bring back where I may have been able to spend that salary elsewhere in a way that 
um, even if it was a one-off piece, was just a better play in general with more ceiling because I really, really didn't expect the uh, Lions to score more than one or two touchdowns. That was that. So speaking of going with my gut, Carolina upsetting the Bucks. Don't ask me how I saw this one coming, <laughs> uh, but I just couldn't get over it this week. It just felt like one of those spots that this could happen. Um, I'm in a confidence pool and I failed to pull the trigger there. So I'm not going to say that I got it right everywhere, but I am also in a survivor pool and Sunday morning I was like, this gut feeling has been nagging me and I'm going to switch off this game. It just feels like it could be one of those situations. It feels crazy. I don't understand it logically, but I'm going to go with that. So naturally then i also had no brady uh no brady double stacks nothing like that i just i don't know to me the bucks look fundamentally off the carolina defense is actually not terrible uh coaching changes usually have quite an impact for the next game or two maybe even the rest of the season but that's something that shouldn't be undervalued or um, that isn't weighed in these types of situations. Again, I'm not saying that I thought for sure this was going to happen, but I just didn't feel great about it. Other than that, it is a divisional matchup. Uh, crazy things can happen in divisional matchups. So I think it's just important to note that as well. So I know that uh, across OWS and a lot of you in the OWS fam played Brady and double stacks this week. I don't think that was a bad call at all. Um, I just thought there were spots that I liked a lot better. So that was a win for me not going there. Now, enough bragging or humble bragging. Uh, it's time to talk about my losses. Now, just real quickly before I dive into these, again, I think it's important to understand that I'm talking about my bets from a high level because I think that this is really important when playing DFS that we can assess things from this level and not just individual players or even individual lineups because it gives us a more holistic view of where we were right, where we were wrong when it comes to placing bets. So with that, one of my L's this week was Cleveland-Baltimore being the best early game and good enough to matter on the main slate. This was a loss. So the reasons I was on this game were, I think, still sharp. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, essentially it being a game that could go back and forth, and if it does, it's going to do so in a good way excuse me, in a big way, and most of the field's not going to be accounting for it. These teams also have condensed offenses. So the skill guys, the guys that have the volume and the touchdowns on their side are pretty clear on both these teams. And when you can get an environment where you like the game and you like each team in the game from a condensed standpoint, that's really, really attractive and somewhere that I'm always looking to go, especially in small field tourneys. So that part, that all looked good to me. Uh, and I mean, if we look at it, how Lamar barely had 100 yards passing and his boy, Mark Andrews, who has been arguably the best tight end, okay, maybe tight end two uh, this season, had two targets and zero catches against one of the league's worst pass defenses is pretty wild. Uh, Cleveland is, is you know, more or less a pass funnel defense. So this was, yeah, not within the realm of what we would think of, or at the very far end, I should say, of possibilities. And then on the other side of the ball, you got Amari, who has really quietly had a lot of looks his way this year and just really doesn't have the offense to go with uh, 
being like kind of a, a big recognition guy. Um, but yeah, only four targets for him on the other side of the ball is kind of wild as well. So just some things to note if you were playing this game, playing the pieces in this game, because all of Njoku, uh, DPJ, Bateman, and Duvernay were also in play. All of those guys, I think all of that is sharp. And this is just one of those situations where we knew that we were betting on something that might not happen and it didn't happen. So an L we don't mind taking, but an L nonetheless. All right, to another one that I think is worth mentioning, something that I didn't really even think too much about, but then when I was looking at scores and the highest scores of the weekend kind of came to light, the Burrow double stack with no bring back. This was a loss, but also one that I am totally fine with. Now, Two, two pieces I want to talk about with this. In general, Burrow and a double stack, usually Higgins and Jamar Chase, even though Boyd is the one who got there this week with Jamar. That double stack is going to be pretty plus EV because of the floor and ceiling of this combo, right? Now, game environment matters, which is kind of the caveat to this and why I wasn't on it, was that most of the time, these guys aren't going to push unless they need to. So to me, this is different than a Tua Tyreek Waddle stack or block of players who are just so strong because the (laughs) like 80% of, you know, three quarters of the Miami offense and therefore DFS points runs through those three guys. Now we've got Mostert coming in hot here. He had a good game last night on Sunday night, which is good to see. But from the passing game perspective and just this offense really still as a whole, those three guys are such a huge portion of their points. So going there specifically again in small fields is almost always going to be plus EV until it becomes really, really price prohibitive. And uh, so you have to be a little bit careful there. But otherwise, the Burrow double stack feels kind of like a mini version of that with this asterisk of game environment matters. In this case, it didn't actually, (laughs) Um, even though I was staying away because I really didn't see this being competitive. And in general, the Bengals don't stay aggressive when they don't have to. Add in the additional piece of recency bias, and with people wanting to go back to Burrow and Chase, I thought it was actually a very sharp move to fade this spot. So it didn't work out. The results did not work out. There was a loss on the stat sheet from that perspective. To me, this is a loss I will take 100 out of 100 times. So to anybody that was maybe second guess, guessing yourselves, yes, the ceiling is there on those guys. This is not necessarily a surprise outcome. However, in the end, it was a plus EV move to not play them because of the reasons mentioned. All right, we've got two more things here. One is an egregious... <laughs> I think that's how you say that word, egregious, egregious mistake I made this weekend. I talked a little bit about in the reflection chat already. And one that is really kind of interesting to me, a game that is interesting. And I want to dig into just a little bit because I think it provides a really nice framework for how we can differentiate ourselves by making really smart plus EV plays and really putting ourselves in a place to get to first place. Okay, let's first start with the the short and sweet one here. What was my biggest mistake of the weekend? It was not locking in Josh Jacobs. Oh, man. So here's the thing. A shout out to X and Hilo for handling this in a really, really nice way on the Slate Pod this weekend. Uh, they specifically mentioned how 
X was just talking about, uh, you know, how you have this bad taste in your mouth from Jacobs in years past and et cetera. And, but you just have to go with, you have to let go of that, right? And you have to go with, this is where he's at now. This is who he is as a player right now on this team. And, and just go with that, right? And be able to let go of your preconceived notions. I simply couldn't do it. Why is this bad? This is bad because I specifically watched him play um well i don't know one of the last two weeks and he looked really good for me uh i'm I'm used to watching football and i'm pretty good at judging a, a guy just based on how he looks and he looked good i was very surprised watching him and i made a note in that moment that he's for real this year and if he keeps getting the work that he's getting he's going to have good games so not locking him in this week was, I mean, quite simply, with the experience level that I'm at, uh, just uh, you can't have this type of mistake. It's, it's you know, you don't deserve to win, in my case, if you are making mistakes like this. This is just foundational single entry play. You've got to be able to do this. Uh, and, and that is quite simply, there is no need to get cute at running back when there's as good of a spot as this. This week we had Austin Eckler, Josh Jacobs, and kind of a, just, you know, a tier below them, Kenneth Walker, as these guys who just set up so, so well. Jacobs has a pass catching role and a goal line role, and he's a workhorse back on a team that was facing a bad defense and favored heavily to win. Austin Eckler, similar situation. Austin Eckler, I would say, is this year's CMC light. Jacobs is maybe like a light light. <laughs> like that's this like relative to the state of running back as a whole this year. These guys are really up there. So the fact that we could get them this weekend in really good spots, in really good games, uh, was just something that should not have been an issue. You can differentiate otherwise. Now, if you are going completely off the board and trying to create a different lineup build, I think that's something else and you need to build in a, you know a particular risk profile and understanding of what you're betting on there. But when it comes to making plus CD plays in small field tourneys, you just don't need to get cute at running back. So fail on my part, massive L, big red stamp on my forehead. And uh, yeah, one that I'm not willing to take after these ones that we just talked about that I will take any day. Okay, on to the last piece of this here, the New York Giants-Jacksonville Jaguars game. So why am I putting this in my win-loss review here? My assessment is that this was a loss for me because it was a miss. And what I mean by that is that in my early week notes, I had this as a game that was also a barbell distribution. Both these teams actually have pretty good defenses uh, or at least serviceable ones. And they also have offenses, though, that while aren't kind of in this uh, elite tier or these offenses that we heavily target from week to week have some very capable players and some capable coaching. So this is a spot to me where I kind of liked what it looked like. And I noted down that my stack from this game, because basically what I do, I've talked a little bit about my first look process, but one of the things that I do is if it makes sense, I include a stack right away in that first look. So I'm not doing a deep dive, but if through my high-level thoughts, there seems to be a very clear correlation of players that I like from a given game, I'll mention those. So here's what I have written down. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley. So basically a block of quarterback running back. I talk about that all the time. Uh, I really like that in small fields where we think these offenses can score a good amount of points. These guys also correlate pretty well together because Saquon catches passes. Coming back with... Etienne on the other side of the ball, in parentheses, Christian Kirk. 
wasn't sold on him and his role as of late. Started out hot. He's been pretty cold recently from a usage standpoint, not just results. And so I didn't know about him, but I noted him down. So let's take a look at the scores from that stack. Daniel Jones, 31.78 points. Saquon Barkley, 20.5. Travis Etienne, 22.9. And Christian Kirk, 17.1. If we look at these combined, we've got 52.28 points between Jones and Saquon and 40 between Etienne and Kirk. So got the numbers point-wise. Let's take a little bit of a look at the dollars and point per dollar here. So if you played the initial stack that I mentioned of just Jones, Saquon, Etienne, you have 75.18 points for 18.4K in salary. That comes out to 4.1x. Now, if you threw Kirk in this stack, then you finish with 92.28 points from these four guys at 24.3k in salary. Good for a 3.8 multiplier. This is pretty solid. This is really kind of where you want to be um, when you're uh, like, especially going off the board. I mean, any stack, this is what you're looking for. But in a stack like this, this is the type of thing that you want. Now, if you're playing this stack, you can now play chalk everywhere else. So you can, you obviously have two running backs in this situation. So that you could argue that this is still negative EV um, because you're fading Josh Jacobs, right? You're not playing him uh, just being, you know, really solid chalk. You're not playing Eckler. Eckler, you can make a case for because he was a bit price prohibitive. Now his ceiling is still there, obviously, as is his floor. Um, but there's a little bit of difference there. Whereas Josh Jacobs for his price was just, you know, you couldn't beat what you were getting there. So there's a little bit of that involved. But if we extrapolate a little bit and just, you know, look in general, if maybe those guys weren't so locked in this week uh, in terms of the value you are getting paying for them, this is one of those stacks that is really, really solid as one that the field's not going to be on is actually probably a little bit uh, has both a little bit more floor and a little bit more ceiling than the field believes. Now, yes, these guys, you know, the, the floor, I'm not saying this is like a solid floor combo by any means, um, but there is some there. But the beauty of a stack like this is if you're playing this, you can just jam in and eat as much chalk as you want, like th the rest of the way. So you can just play the best plays uh, and, and be very confident in creating a plus EV lineup. So I thought that was worth mentioning just because it's a very interesting uh, case study here and uh, just a good example of how you could do that. Like I said, not the perfect example because couldn't play Josh Jacobs here. Um, but even if you consider like Etienne a flex play or something like that, it could still work out. Also just want to note that the if we look specifically at the Giants block here of Jones and Saquon, we've got 52.28 points for 13K total in salary, exactly a four times multiplier. So just a little bit interesting. Now, it is important to note that <laughs> Jones got there on the ground with a whopping 100-yard game for him. And so that's not going to happen every week, obviously, but he has that ability. That's not something that's, uh, you know, once in a career thing for him. He does have that ability to run the ball. So just something to note there. Uh, also, I think Kirk is on the borderline here. Felt a little overpriced as he'd kind of disappeared recently, but had been in an alpha role. He was kind of back there this week, although Zay Jones still matched him in targets. They think they both had like 10 or something. And then uh, keep in mind going forward that Saquon had this 20.5 point game with no touchdown. I noted in my notes this weekend or, or leading this past week initially that 
Saquon still hasn't had a blow up game and he's been having very good games. Now, you could argue it might be hard to have a blow up game on this offense, but they are getting healthier. Uh, so just something to keep in mind as they start to become more uh, dimensional, they have more than just Saquon, that he is going to be in a better position to have good games. All right, moving to the final piece of this apparently quite long strategy section today. I wanted to mention why I hammered the classic primetime short slate. What is this? This is, if you don't know, the Sunday, Monday night slate. So those two games, I really like two and three game slates. Think there's ways to build that our plus EV and the field just isn't quite doing because they're just picking guys with names uh, as opposed to really think about how those games can play out. And normally this is why I really like Thanksgiving and playing that slate, uh, the afternoon slate, because you can really focus on and dedicate your time to how these games could play out. Not necessarily just the most likely way, but also the like this, you know, the, the second tributary, basically uh, the second most likely way to play out. And most of the field isn't going even to that second level. And with the amount of variance in the NFL, the amount of times that we're reaching just that second tributary. So the situation next most likely to the most likely is very profitable because people simply aren't going there. But here at OW West, because of how we think it is pretty simple to get to that place. Also, you can just think through where the touchdowns are coming. JM has talked about this in the past when he's talking about this Thanksgiving slate and his wins on the, that slate. You want to think about touchdowns. And again, people just aren't doing that. So it's always fun to build on these slates. This slate in particular, though, is one of those where I really love it because we have a slate in which we have the Steelers playing the Dolphins and the Bears playing the Patriots. These games really couldn't get too different in terms of game environments. You have, if we go backwards, uh, the Patriots and the Bears, which should just be a good old fashioned slugfest between a team that has a good defense at home and will just run the ball as much as they possibly can as long as they're winning the game and a team in the Bears that are just not good. So here we really don't expect much fantasy goodness whatsoever. Now, this is by no means going to be a surprise, but we can take advantage of that from a roster construction standpoint. So what we can do is build heavily on the other game. Why? Because we have the Dolphins and the Steelers who now we're talking about this in hindsight. So it didn't quite play out this way, but we have a situation where this game could really shoot out if the Dolphins do not wreck the Steelers and the Steelers have been playing better as of late. Kenny Pickett has showed some potential and ability to come in and at least lead an offense, unlike Mitch Trubisky. So we have a spot where there is definite ceiling to be had here. And we have the added benefit of both of these teams in the Steelers and the, the Dolphins having condensed distributions. So we talked about this a little bit earlier to a Tyreek Waddle. There is no more condensed uh, double stack between quarterback and two receivers. They just have the vast majority of the targets in that offense. And then we have Mostert, who is coming into his own in that backfield as well. So we've got four guys who we are sure that the vast majority of the points are going to run through. So right then and there, we can almost just plop all those guys on a lineup. Now, we do have to account for pricing, which on this slate was a little bit prohibitive. But at least we know that first and foremost. And then on the other side of the ball, like I said, pick it young, but he's going to throw it. 
He may make some mistakes, but he has that gunslinger mentality and was probably going to have to keep up in this spot. So he was in a good position. Uh, Pickens is still cheap enough as he hasn't had a blow up game is in a good position. You have Deontay Johnson, who is a, a, a target hog in and of uh, his own right. And then Pat Fryermuth, who is just kind of a nice outlet for a young quarterback. So you have these guys that you can go to on that offense. So it's easy to build on this slate, not because the field doesn't know anything, but because when it comes to building and the actual construction of a roster, chances are the field is going to build a little bit more balanced than they should. Whereas we know that on a short slate like this, you can really just load up on the one game. If you're thinking that three or four touchdowns are going to be had by each team in one game, Dolphins, Steelers, and only one or two touchdowns may be had by each team in the other game, and the rest may be field goals or something or nothing, then there's a huge edge by just loading up on the one game, especially when the offenses are so condensed because you're giving yourself the shot at ceiling. But there's also a fair amount of floor there because of that situation. So just wanted to point that out that whenever there's a slate like this, I am just like salivating basically because it's just such a good situation. The The field isn't stupid, but they also aren't quite as sharp to understand how heavily you can build around one game and how important touchdowns are on a short slate like this. Uh, these gems don't come around all that often, but when they do, we should be taking advantage of them. Okay. I spent probably double the time I needed to there. Let's move on to the fluke or fail section. So this is where we examine the top performers of the week and try to figure out if it was a fluky performance or if we simply failed to identify them and have them on our rosters. First thing to note here, there are lots of familiar faces. So leading the charge here is Mr. Joe Burrow. Baby Joe was with us last week. By the way, that's a nickname that I don't think exists. I just made that up. Uh, He was with us last week, topping the slate with a whopping 42.24 points. Now, we talked about this a little bit before, so I'm not going to belabor the point, but not a surprise to see Burrow here. Uh, It won't ever really be because he's going to be in this 30 plus club a handful of times every year. But on this particular week, I do think that while this wasn't a fluky performance, it wasn't a bad idea to fade him. So if you did not play him, I don't think you should be beating yourself up about it. The only situation in which maybe it wasn't a great play on your part is if you were playing this game or this offense heavily. Number two was Josh Jacobs. Yep, I deserve all the pain that I'm feeling right now. Uh, 39.5. You know, I think that Josh must listen to this podcast because if you've all been listening, uh, it wasn't too long ago that I said this guy will never see this type of ceiling again. Prove me wrong. Sometimes we got to eat our own words. And as I said before, in all seriousness, uh, This guy's in a position to succeed this year. And as X said on the Slate podcast on Saturday, we do need to be able to put our preconceived notions behind us. And whatever he looked like in the past, it does not matter. It is not this year. This year, he looks good. He has the role. We need to be paying attention to him. Now, I I haven't looked at pricing for this next week yet, but I would bet that his price has jumped up quite a bit. Uh, I doubt we'll see him under 7,000, maybe even 7,500 for the rest of the year. Austin Eckler coming in at number three with a 36.7. I mean, this dude is just getting it done right now. He has three games now this year where he has more than 34.9 DraftKings points. 
He just has such an opportunity to succeed in this offense. And I kind of said it earlier and mentioned it offhandedly, but he really feels like this year's CMC to me. The way that he gets the ball, uh, he, he's schemed the ball. Herbert's always looking for him. He knows he has that safety outlet. He gets a bunch of passes, which on DraftKings is just such a benefit. He's used in the red zone, which he hadn't been used in nearly as much in the past, which severely limited his upside. Uh, He may not get the amount of carries that CMC was getting when uh, he was just crushing everything, but I do think it's important that we start to see him a little bit in that light, even if he isn't exactly the same. Always going to be in consideration, especially in good game environments. Jamar Chase at the next position with a 36.0. Uh, Yeah, nothing too new here. We talked about it last week with Jamar and Burrow. And again, weren't necessarily thinking this would be the spot for him because they wouldn't have to push. But the thing is, with this guy, uh, he can go off anytime, really, because he just needs a couple long passes to go for touchdowns and he's good to go. Next spot, just because I think it is worth mentioning, as he did have a score in the 30s, Andy Dalton. (laughs) Uh, on the New Orleans versus Arizona game on the island slate. Uh, Yeah, just worth noting there, threw 47 times, four touchdowns, over 350 yards. He did it all in that spot. Uh, I don't really have a strong take either way there. Dalton is not likely to get there often. He does have some pieces around him. But for him to hit that type of a ceiling uh, doesn't feel like it's going to be that frequent. Tyler Boyd bringing up the next spot, 32.5. Obviously, we just talked about Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. So there was the double stack. There was the nuts this weekend. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Boyd, I actually didn't look this up beforehand, but I'm not sure he has a 30 plus point game in his career uh, just due to his role. Isn't going to happen very frequently. He is in a good offense, so, you know, he could definitely have good games in terms of must have games. That's going to be pretty rare. I don't necessarily think it's fluky because he is in a good offense, but uh, just, yeah, something to note that he really doesn't have that type of an upside on a regular basis. Kenneth Walker, 31.8. There's really no surprise here. He was chalky, uh, so we know all the reasons why he was in position to succeed. He busted a long run, which was really what put him over the top here, and that's kind of what he does. And the Chargers' run defense is not good. So, yeah, pretty good spot here. Uh, And just note, I mean, if you're playing him and Eckler in the same game, uh, you're just giving yourself so and it's just such a nice correlation there, right? Like when we knew that game environment was going to be good, we knew it could probably come from a combination of both on the ground and in the air. Um, just so, so solid. Next spot, Daniel Jones. We talked about him already a bit. Uh, 31.78 points. As we talked about, he got there on a massive ground game, but he does have that capability. We probably won't see him in the 30s too, too often, but I think something to keep an eye out for when there are some good game environments uh, with high powered offenses that don't have great defenses and as some of his receiving options get healthier. Patrick Mahomes just broke the 30 mark with 30.92. He needed quite a few yards to get there. He was over 400 and did that with a big play right at the end. But <laughs> it's Mahomes. We're not gonna not gonna uh, think it's crazy to see him in the 30s. Uh, he's gonna be here quite a bit, if not uh, almost every week. Yeah, I think probably most people thought that the San Fran defense was gonna do a better job containing him. I know that I did. I didn't think that he would break 30 in this game. I didn't think he would have a bad game, but I thought that over 30 was. Probably stretching it a little bit for him. Uh, San Fran has been fairly injured, though, so that's also not a huge surprise. Um, I don't think, you know, just looking at this list, I don't think we have uh, 
any really kind of fluky guys this week. I think Boyd was the closest thing to that, uh, Dalton. But most of these other guys were really set up for success, either facing on a good offense, facing a poor defense, or in a really great game environment. So we've talked about that you know, a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about game environments and the importance in identifying those. And that just continues to be the case here. It's also important to note that these high scores are not coming from bad offenses. Uh, I was talking to Smart Plays about this and telling him that one of the things that I have done uh, both a little bit this year because I played uh, a bunch of Cardinals as I talked about last week and then even last year I played the Falcons like three times just thinking that they would be better and it's it, it seems so simple and maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just a dunce, but um, playing guys on good offenses is really a key to success. I think it's important to note here, too, that, uh, you know, you got a guy like Juju or MVS or Nicole Hardman. Uh, yeah, I tried to forget him since I didn't plenty of them. You got guys like that who are in a good offense. They're not expensive because they're not the Travis Kelsey's that are going to see, you know, double digit targets and end zone looks every single game, but because they're on a good offense, they have a chance to succeed. So just a note there real quick before we close this section out, I just also wanted to note that, or take a look at the, the, the cheap tight ends on this slate, because this was kind of a, a decision point trying to figure out if you're going to go there, if you're going to pay up for one of these guys and try to leverage that build or what. Um, so let's take a look at this here. You have Kate Otten who went for 10.4 points. He got five targets. Really for him, he's in a good offense uh, who throw the ball a lot. So he's going to have opportunity. He could fall into a touchdown. Moreau, 5.4, excuse me, 5.8 on five targets. Great matchup. Solid offense. The volume, more questionable. Uh, he should still get a few targets, but maybe not as sure as Otten. Finally, Dolchich, 11.1 points, nine targets. He had a fluky touchdown last week, but I do want to point out that this team really seems to love that, love him. And I he seems legit. He he seems like an athlete. Uh, and like I said, I think the biggest thing is they just like him there. So, yes, that touchdown on national TV was a little bit fluky because it was a broken coverage. But I do think that the nine target game is not a complete outlier. Now, at the end of the day, none of these guys got there in a big way. But you're getting exactly what you bargained for when you're paying down for these guys. 5.8 points, 10.4, 11.1. Anywhere in there is basically what you're expecting, and then you're just hoping that they fall into a touchdown, which any of these guys could have, given their situations. Um, but just just a note there. I don't think it's, it's a terrible play. I don't think it's a great play. I think you just have to really know what you're betting on. With that, uh, let's finish off with a little lineup review. We got one submission this week, and that's just as well because uh, this pod has gone on quite a long time. But let's take a look at this. So Chris Nothing sent me a single entry lineup in a field of anywhere from the five and a half K to 12 K. So say, you know, mid-size, fairly, fairly large, right? When we're thinking about small field, we're thinking in the hundreds, we're thinking, you know, basically less than 2K. So a good medium size to borderline large uh, field here. We have a Kansas City San Fran stack with Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey bringing it back with George Kittle and Debo Samuel. At running back, we have Brian Robinson and Travis Etienne. At receiver, Donovan Peoples-Jones and DeAndre Carter. And then finally wrapping it up with the Jets' defense. All right, so let's start with the stack here. 
stack of Mahomes, Kelsey, Kittle, Debone. I actually really like this stack. I think that this is a great backbone for a field this size where most people aren't going to be playing this combination. That's not an overstack necessarily, but four guys from the same game is solid. Um, most people are going to use the you know, Mahomes with one receiver and a bring back or two receivers and a bring back as opposed to two guys. Debo and Kittle are both guys with really high ceilings. So I really like having both of those guys included on this roster. Now, one thing I would consider is that if you have Patrick Mahomes on this roster, then you might want a second guy to bring him back with. Now, as we saw, anybody and everybody from that offense can hit, which is uh, kind of annoying to try to pick the right one, but they're also all cheap enough where you could have just picked any of them and they all had a decent game. And then there's correlation. So swap out Donovan Peoples-Jones for one of the other receivers on the Chiefs. You might have to play around a little bit with prices. I think they're all more expensive. Actually, Michael Hardman might have been right around that price. Uh, I didn't play him, so I wouldn't know. Um, MVS was a few hundred more. And then I don't know where Juju was at. But so that's probably the biggest thing on this roster is... Uh, swapping out Donovan Peoples-Jones for another Chiefs pass catcher. If you're paying up for Mahomes, you're saying this guy is having a 35-point game because keep in mind that you're playing Debo Samuel and George Kittle on this roster. And if you think that they are both having ceiling games, then there's a pretty solid chance that Jimmy G, who was, uh, what I can't remember, Mahomes exact price, but he was what, like 3K cheaper than Mahomes. So if you think that both Debo and Kittle, or you're betting on it, doesn't matter what you think. If you are betting on this roster that both Debo and George Kittle are having ceiling games, there's a good chance that Jimmy G is doing some work also. Now, Mahomes wasn't very high owned in this spot. So that didn't matter. I think he was a great play because of that. Um, But also nobody was going to be playing Jimmy G, which I think was a pretty sharp play in this case because of what the environment potentially set up to be. So some thoughts there for how to uh, build around the main stack. And then in terms of the other pieces, you have Brian Robinson and Travis Etienne at running back. Yeah, I think the the thing here is like you were trying to uh, pay down at running back because you wanted to get these other this high priced San Fran KC stack in. Something to consider is that if you had uh, gone the route of Jimmy G with that double stack that you already had from him, just bringing it back with Kelsey because that's the component of the Chiefs offense that you felt comfortable with, you now probably no definitely have the salary to pay up for Josh Jacobs. That's really interesting. If you can get him in one of the running back spots, you know, play him instead of Brian Robinson who, you know, I think that's I don't think it was a bad play by any means and I know we talked about that a little bit at OWS, but I do think it was a reach you're betting on a lot to go right for Robinson to have a game that you really like, you know, because you're essentially hoping for like a 20 point game out of him um, in a game that was probably going to play really, really slowly. So if you were able to go up to Josh Jacobs in that spot and you totally could, because having a chalky guy like that doesn't matter when you have this differentiated stack. I think that would set you up really, really nicely. You have this other um, lower priced running back in Travis Etienne, uh, who is a dynamic guy in a uh, kind of a sneaky good game environment. So I like that a lot. DeAndre Carter, yeah, I think he was just the cheap piece that made a lot of sense. Kind of slot him in because he's in a good game environment. 
on a good offense and has a chance to uh, like his floor and ceiling are just uh, way above what his price would suggest. So I think that's a fair slot in. And then, yeah, Jets D, you know, you've got enough different going on here. I think that when you get into larger fields like this, uh, I do think that playing chalky defense is uh, just never a great, great idea. Um, because it's such an easy way to differentiate yourself. It's such an easy way to move past a chunk of the field in a position that is just so highly variant. So I think that's a position that uh, could have benefited from being different as well. Also, we're not calculating the exact salary out, but if you had gone with Jimmy G at quarterback, even if you went up to Jacobs, I think you still have some wiggle room there and you can pay up uh, for another defense, which gives you additional leverage because most of the field is playing, paying down to um, play that defense and fit some higher price guys in. So hopefully that makes sense. Uh, Chris, nothing. Hit me up if you got any additional questions. Nice job, man. And hope to see you in here again next week. And just a reminder for everybody else, Send me your lineups at the end of the games next week. I usually record this podcast on Sunday night or sometime on Monday. So uh, if you can have those in uh, Sunday evening, that would be the best. And I would love to try to get you on here. All right, guys. Well, we officially broke the hour mark this weekend. So uh, unless I am edited heavily (laughs) because I broke the rules, um, I'm going to get out of here. So thanks guys for hanging out. Totally appreciate you. Thanks for giving me the space to learn alongside of you. With that, I will see you at the top of the leaderboards next weekend.